Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is Emily Kroll, our Education and Events Coordinator. Welcome back, Emily. Yay. Time number two. Yeah, two podcasts in a row. No, Nobody's stuck at home because of the coronavirus, so that's a good thing. Uh, today we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, just give you a quick update in our petition drive. Talk about a ton of election endorsements. Uh, talk about Ireland and the first year that they had legal abortion and what happened there. Uh, first, we're going to talk about a not-so-happy story, uh, the Supreme Court decision in June Medical Services LLC versus Russo. If you don't add that LLC in there, you know, people won't know what you're referring to. Yeah. So, uh, June versus Russo, Emily, there were involved a Louisiana law, we talked about this in the last podcast, a Louisiana law requiring abortion facilities to be regulated like other ambulatory surgical centers, meaning that they had to get admitting privileges at a local hospital. Um, there were five votes, Emily, on the Supreme Court, uh, there, or there were five justices who thought that Louisiana's law was perfectly constitutional, that there was nothing wrong with it, that treating abortion facilities like other common medical facilities that do the same kind of things, uh, not abortions, but outpatient surgical procedures, uh, that's completely constitutional. There were five people who believed that, Emily. However, our result was five votes to strike down Louisiana's law. It's astonishing to me that someone can agree that something is constitutional, but then vote to strike down a law, and we know in the Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court strikes down a law, they're saying that it is unconstitutional. So um, Justice Roberts, who we were worried about in his decision to say that he believes it's constitutional, but still vote to say that it's unconstitutional, contradicted himself in the span of a, a sentence. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the first time, and the reason we were afraid was many people will remember that uh, not necessarily dealing with pro-life issues specifically, but in his Obamacare decision that hinged upon whether something was a tax or not a tax, uh, Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts saved the Obamacare law by declaring something to simultaneously be a tax and a non-tax at the same time based on uh, which uh, analysis uh, for which section of it you needed. So uh, we have non-tax taxes, and now we have constitutional, unconstitutional laws. The mental gymnastics required to uh, hold two opposing views for the same thing is impressive, uh, is, but it's also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Depressing? Depressing, yes. <laughs> Impressively deep, depressingly impressive or impressingly depressive. Yes. Um, so I think that most people can kind of figure, uh, based on uh, John Roberts' track record the last few years, uh, and speculation that I think is pretty well founded, that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts' chief concern for the Supreme Court is its legitimacy, uh, how it's seen 
by the public, uh, by the media, by legislators. And that's not necessarily wrong. It's important that our institutions have legitimacy, Emily, but I seem to recall that the Supreme Courts take an oath, an alum, a solemn oath, to defend the Constitution and not their legitimacy. And I would, I would make the argument, Emily, that if they do the right thing, regardless of the policy consequences uh, or the political consequences, then they are showing themselves to be legitimately a court which is not supposed to be part of the political process. But John Roberts seems to take the other route. And just for the record, I think John Roberts is pro-life and probably doesn't like abortion. But you know what? If you don't have the courage to just follow simple principles like that, then you get to a position where uh, you know the Supreme Court's legitimacy depends on how it's viewed on social media instead of if it's actually doing what it, its job is. Um, so it was a 5-4 to vote. Uh, the four pro-abortion justices will always, under no circumstance, uh, not protect abortion, defend abortion. Um, you have to get something that's so blatantly obvious that even they can't write something without laughing in order to get them to vote for something, you know, anything. I think the only case in recent memory where pro-abortion justice has voted against something was, uh, you know, basically banning sidewalk counselors in front of abortion facilities. You know, they, they couldn't, even they couldn't square that with the First Amendment and turn that circle into a square. Uh, but generally, if it involves the abortion industry and keeping them open, they're going to protect them, those four justices, Breyer, Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan. And... Uh, the encouraging thing out of the case, though, is on the other side, you have the other four justices who I don't honestly know if any of them are truly pro-life, except for maybe uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, maybe Brett Kavanaugh, just because of his uh, history uh, involved in politics and whatnot, uh, way back before he was a judge. But those four voted to uphold the law, two of which were President Trump's appointees, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, given recent decisions and just overall because of track record of Republican presidents, uh, people were worried about what hap would happen with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, Emily, but they came through. They did, which is encouraging that um, even in the face of the reputation debate that some people still have the courage to stand for the Constitution. So... We, we're not a complete minority, but we are still a minority. We're back to, we're back to four and four and then one guy in the middle. Mm -hmm. And whatever the one guy in the middle thinks today is what the abortion policies of all 50 states are. It's quite, it's quite maddening. Um, it was very encouraging to see Clarence Thomas, in his opinion, uh, disagreeing with the majority opinion, even saying the Roe versus Wade should be overturned, plainly. We love Clarence Thomas. Yes, we do. We need to cop. We need to clone four of him. It's not very pro-life, but we need to clone four quite, more no. of him, or better yet, thousands of him. The entire federal judiciary is just Clarence Thomas's. That would be outstanding. Um, fire the rest of them. I don't care. They have lifetime appointments. Uh, <laughs> so John Roberts uh, was kind of the odd man out in the middle. 
writing an opinion. And, and this is not just us. This is not just Emily and I believing that he thinks uh, that Louisiana's law is constitutional. In his opinion, he starts it out by basically saying, oh, Louisiana's fine. But, Emily, but the Supreme Court four years ago in a Texas case struck down a similar Texas law. And so uh, John Roberts expressly said, well, even though I believe Louisiana's law is totally constitutional and this decision from four years ago was totally wrong and does not follow the Constitution, I'm going to just forget my oath about defending the Constitution and uh, uphold this precedent because it's precedent. Now, now Emily, upholding precedent is an important feature of our judicial system. Uh, a same, the same case should be adjudicated the same in different courts. That's important. Otherwise, justice becomes arbitrary. But, Emily, in this case, justice is arbitrary. When you have a judge acknowledging that a law fulfills all the qualifications of the Constitution, and it's the job of the Supreme Court uh, to make sure that that's the case, and yet the result is still they lose because of some arbitrary opinion of what the legitimacy of the court is. That's not the rule of law. As much as he can hide behind the principle of precedent, it, that's not the rule of law, that's the rule of political correctness. How is the court perceived? So, Emily, it was not unexpected and there were some rumors floating around that Roberts was gonna do this, but nevertheless, it is depressing to see him do this. Uh, a, if, if you take Roberts at face value, then uh, any other pro-life law that hasn't been decided yet, then we should be fine. However, as Roberts has proven several times, if he can find a way to make a narrow ruling or to try to stay out of an issue or try to punt, he's going to do that. What, yeah. What, what can you do? Hope for better justices in the future. <laughs> Right. And it is encouraging President Trump put two justices that were two solid votes. And uh, as, we, as I went around a couple months ago, a couple years ago, for affiliate training sessions, everyone was wondering, you know, if Trump gets the two justices and there's a five to four conservative, quote unquote, majority on the court, is Roe going to be overturned? And I was telling people, you know, it all depends on the courage of John Roberts and five votes may not be enough. He may need six or seven to vote against Roe versus Wade. So, well, I guess if we had seven, then Chief Justice John Roberts would be irrelevant. When he's when it's five to four, he is relevant. But if it were uh, six to three, he wouldn't be relevant. Um, or six or five to four, because Roberts is on the other side. But uh, he he just doesn't feel courageous enough to do it, and he thinks his job is I don't know to save the pro life movement from itself, which we don't want to be saved. You know what? The law is the law. You know, if if Roe versus Wade is overturned and that means more people hate the pro-life movement, I'm fine with that. Are you fine with that, Emily? Bring it on. Bring it on. That means we can start to legislate. And the public opinion of most people is not that abortion should be legal through online months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever. No regulation of the abortion industry. So I don't care if we make 10% more of the public mad at us. We're still going to be better off if Roe versus Wade is overturned. So... If you're listening, Chief Justice John Roberts, if you're driving through lovely, I don't know, northern Michigan, you know, going to celebrate Independence Day, uh, this is our message to you. We don't need to be saved from ourselves. 
You're not helping your legitimacy. You just look like a coward. And a chicken. Chicken. Yeah, chicken's a pretty good word for that. I mean, I wish there were a politer way to say it, but I'll say it again. That's that's Justice John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts. In a nutshell. All right, we depressed enough about that? Uh, so we move on to our next depressing topic? Yeah, let's okay. do that one. Ireland. So uh, Ireland used to be the best pro-life example that we had because they were a country that had a constitutional amendment, uh, well, a section of their constitution, protecting every unborn child. They were valued in law. They were protected. Abortion was illegal in Ireland, except in truly extreme cases. Well, uh, there came people who really liked abortion, who kept demanding Ireland change their laws uh, repeatedly and just wore them down over a period of decades and, and especially in recent years. And the centerpiece, Emily, of their argument for why Ireland needed to legalize abortion, and they had an example of a, of a lady who had a miscarriage and uh, died and the circumstances around that are uh, not quite what they say it is, but their entire argument for legalizing abortion in Ireland is we need to save women's lives. Now, this was a totally ridiculous argument in Ireland because uh, the maternal mortality rate in Ireland, which is the number of women who are pregnant, who die, was way better than the United States. If you were a pregnant woman, you would rather live in Ireland where abortion was illegal than America, where abortion was legal. If you were a woman who had a health problem with your pregnancy, you'd rather be in Ireland than America. That's just based on the numbers. Actual hard statistics. Makes sense, right, Emily? It does, because if your purpose is to protect life, then instead of what we do in the United States is recommend a woman to have an abortion, which has, in many cases, serious complications for the rest of her life, in Ireland, they were doing everything that they could in researching new technology and making it available so that every woman had the best chance to have a healthy pregnancy to full term. Logically, it makes sense that they had the lowest mortality rate among pregnant women. Yeah, much lower than the United States. And they, uh, they were way down there. They were one of the leaders mm -hmm. in the world when you look at the numbers. Um, so Ireland... Of course, abortion supporters didn't really care what reality says or numbers, and they convinced actually two-thirds of Irish voters to legalize abortion. And I remember, maybe you didn't see any of this news coverage, Emily, but there were people celebrating in the streets and cheering that abortion was legal in Ireland and women's lives were going to be saved. Well, Emily, it's been uh, one year of legalized abortion in Ireland, and Ireland's Department of Health has published numbers. For the calendar year of 2019, how many abortions there were? Emily, what was the number? <laughs> 6,666. Yeah, 666 plus another 6. Plus so another 6. So we'll let you reach your own conclusion about that as an omen. <laughs> um, but uh, that's a lot of abortions when you consider that, and another argument that they would make is, well, Irish women just go to England or elsewhere to have an abortion. And uh, those numbers were uh, around two to 3,000. And so every year, two to 3,000 women would be going elsewhere to have abortions. You doubled that. 
And so uh, the idea that these, uh, that the law wouldn't increase abortions, that it's just, it's just uh, you know, uh, making it easier for the women who are already having abortions. No, uh-uh, increased abortions. And here's the really key number. Okay, so Ireland's reason for legalizing abortion, their key point was we need abortions to save lives. And I'm sure most Irish voters, just as they do in America, were utterly oblivious to why the reasons why women have abortions and thought that there were hundreds or thousands of women dying or that's why there's most abortions and why would a woman have an abortion for pretty much any other reason they might think to themselves well of the 6,666 abortions in Ireland in 2019 Emily how many were performed for a risk to life or health of the mother it was an extremely low number of 21. 21. So the reason, so they had to legalize the abortion of 6,600 plus in order to get to 21. The math doesn't really compute very well for a life-threatening situations. Right, and actually, and uh, there was a further number. Uh, there were only three deemed risk to life or health in an emergency. Three in the entire country in the year. Emily, those three women would have received medical care anyway. Uh, however, because uh, just as the law was in Michigan for a long time, law was in Ireland, uh, you know, in a situation where the woman's life is at risk, ending a pregnancy is not illegal. It wasn't in Ireland. Well, three. So 6,663 abortions. And remember that the 21 where a risk to life or health, that doesn't necessarily mean that a woman's life was at risk or even really her long-term health was at risk. Um, we've seen in other countries, and we know it happens in America, that a woman who has, you know, uh, very bad morning sickness, which is terrible. I know someone who had morning sickness every day of pregnancy, and it's miserable. But that's not an excuse. That's not really a threat to your health to the point where you can kill a child. I don't think. Uh, so yeah, all these abortions and for what? Three cases. Three cases. There were a hundred that were performed because of a condition likely to lead to the death of a fetus. In other words, the child was disabled uh, or had an adverse medical diagnosis. And, you know, we believe a disabled child is as much value as an able child. And that doesn't matter if you live for 100 years or 100 days or 100 hours or 100 minutes. The value of your life doesn't change. You don't lose your human rights. But uh, the vast majority, 6,542 in Ireland, were simply because women didn't want their children. Now, I don't know, Emily, if the effort to legalize abortion in Ireland would have lost if voters could look into the future and have these numbers. But do you believe for a minute that any voter in Ireland would have foreseen these numbers or guessed that they'd be like this? Um, I was actually in Ireland in 2014. So oh, just when the, I the, didn't know that. the debate to really, really started heating up about the abortion debate in Ireland. And from talking to several people there, and I was in um, Ireland proper, so the Republic of Ireland, but also in Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, and 
where abortion has been legalized for a while, uh, the people in Ireland really had no idea the consequences of legalizing abortion. And I had several conversations with people in Dublin and in the countryside around Dublin who, who were now believers in pro-choice. And I was talking about the consequences of legalizing abortion that we've seen here in the United States and how um, medical reasons, um, if a woman's health, her mental health is considered a medical reason. So uh, it's really arbitrary and hard to define in that the number of abortions would rise significantly. And the majority of people I talked to were not okay with that. So it's fascinating to me and just seeing what's happening there a few years later after I left is really quite sad and I know a lot of people there who are very unhappy with, with the direction that their nation has taken. Yep. And it's just so it just strikes me just to kind of conclude about all of this is uh, abortion never wins on equal footing. They always have to lie, misrepresent, conceive and confuse, uh, deceive and confuse people. Uh, they never can, abortion can never stand on its own in the light of day. Um, and now the light of day is on in Ireland and uh, hopefully pro-life people there in Ireland can use these numbers to try to get people to convince themselves again that uh, this is not what Ireland's supposed to be about. Uh, but today, this is what Ireland is. This is a country where uh, of these abortions that were so necessary, the extreme vast majority of them were simply to throw away unwanted children. Yeah. And looking from a perspective of the United States, we might say, you know, only 6,600 some abortions. Ireland is a small country, so that's actually a really large number of abortions considering their population. Yeah. They are not the state of Texas, definitely. <laughs> Um, I, I, one more point, I just thought it was interesting. Have you ever read Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal? I love Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. And so, not to spoil it, but his satirical solution to the problem of poverty was eating Irish children, right? Yes, yes. A lot of people are horrified. It's satire. He was using it to point out their flawed, their flawed, the flawed reasoning in the English Parliament at the time for dealing with the Irish population. But uh, it's horrifying, but it's so logical how he puts it forward. You know, the Babylon Bee to, in modern day becomes, you know, factual, goes from satire to factual in a couple of, couple of days. It takes a little bit longer for satire that's a couple hundred years old, but Jonathan Swift, you can't, you can't out-satire these people. You cannot. You can't. <laughs> All right. Uh, just to give a brief update on the petition drive, so... Last podcast, two weeks ago, we talked to you about the miracle in Lansing. And right now, the Bureau of Elections has polled a larger sample, which we're going through. And we'll see what Planned Parenthood comes up with to challenge it. And then we have to come back and try to argue with them. And then we'll have to argue with the, the uh, Bureau of Elections about what they think is and isn't a valid signature. We don't know how many signatures they added back. We know that the Board of Canvassers, which oversees this whole process, asked the Bureau of Elections to go through the 7,000 of our signatures that they threw out for really ticky-tack reasons, almost all of them. And so we should be getting some back, but we don't know how many yet. And so 
We're just gonna have to muddle through it. Uh, the deadline for the challenge is uh, it was you know 10 business days, which given this week is gonna extend us uh, well you know past next week. I believe uh, the Monday after next week, and so it'll be a couple days. Planned Parenthood is probably gonna take all the time in the world just to delay it uh, to issue their challenge. Uh, but it gives us time to check our own signatures and see if there's any potential problems. We'll let you know what happens as soon as we know something that happens. Of course, you can always get news on that from our website, rtl.org. And the last thing that you definitely ought to be going to rtl.org for is PAC endorsements. Right Life Michigan Political Action Committee has issued their endorsements for the August 4 primary election. Hundreds of endorsements. It was fun writing the Rights Life of Michigan News, writing all of these hundreds of endorsements in there, checking them to make sure they're all in the right congressional district and whatnot. Uh, thankfully, you don't have to sort through hundreds of endorsements. There is a simple personalized pro-life ballot feature where all you got to do is type in your name, type in your zip code, uh, your address. Date and, of birth. Oh, your date of birth. And whoop, it pops up. Only the endorsements that will be directly on the ballot that you're seeing, whether you're voting in person or now with Michigan's new laws, uh, voting by mail through absentee. So only the endorsements you need to know right there, really simple. If it doesn't work, just call our office and we'll personally help you out. Go through your endorsements. It's never been easier. It's always been this easy. It's We've had the personalized pro-life ballot for many, many years since I've been here. But uh, it's a great tool, really simple. We're always happy to help in any situation, Emily. As I was telling Emily, who hasn't had to do uh, these kind of endorsement calls yet, we've taken calls from people inside the polling booth, you know, who's endorsed for this county position. But please don't do that. It's technically illegal. Yeah, you shouldn't really be talking about endorsements in the election line. So but, call uh, call in the line, but not the booth. <laughs> yeah, or, or the day before, if that you're not works sure. That too. But if you call during the booth, We'll still help you. We'll be nice and tell you who's endorsed. Uh, and basically, it's really important to know that because if you don't have pro-life people making these decisions, then you get in Ireland. Or you get a, uh, a Chief Justice John Roberts who just doesn't have the courage to stand in his convictions over time. And who makes those decisions matter. Personnel is policy. And of course, already the policy matters and our elected officials are the ones voting on it. So you can get a absentee ballot right now from your local clerk. As I understand, the Secretary of State has mailed everyone and your dead pet from 20 years ago an absentee ballot application. So you can fill that out or go to your local clerk and get that. You can vote right now. Uh, or like me, I'm going to be voting on Election Day. Just a traditional man, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. I'm doing the same thing. So. I'll be, and there will be less lines now that uh, we have all the mail-in voting. Yeah. All right, well, uh, just before we close, I just thought I'd mention that it is Independence Day weekend, and uh, Independence Day is one of my favorite holidays. Um, any special plans, Emily? No, I, uh, I'm taking care of the farm this weekend, so I'll be feeding cattle and turkeys and all sorts of Okay, creatures. the turkey was almost our national bird, so um, there you go. Thank the Lord it isn't. Oh, what? Oh, well, i got to agree with Ben Franklin. I'm not, no offense to the bald eagles, but i got to go with Ben Franklin on this one. So I'll be, I'll be social distancing on a boat. 
uh, maybe seeing some fireworks. But of course, you know, the reason we celebrate Independence Day is the Declaration of Independence and what it represents. And of course, just the mission statement of America is yeah, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the entire purpose that we have a government, Emily, is to protect and defend those rights. And if a government isn't doing that, then our forefathers said we have the right to change and abolish that government. So uh, I'm not calling for another American Revolution right now, but just saying that it's our duty to make sure that our country is always living up to that declaration, and that's the whole reason we're celebrating it. That's also why I never call it Fourth of July. I always say Independence Day. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No alien attacks, though. Okay? True. 2020, please, no alien attacks. Thank you. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you again in two weeks.